Hey cuties, welcome to Cup of Joy the podcast, created to jumpstart your joy, supersize your soul, and provide a sweet space for your own personal growth. I'm your host, Heidi B, certified food and body coach, life coach, personal trainer, and owner of Joyfully Be, where I'm obsessed with helping people win the food and body battle and reclaim their joy. I'll share with you stories of people who have shifted their junk to joy and struggles into celebrations to live a life that they love. Each episode is guaranteed to light and lift you up. Because on this show, we'll talk truth about topics that block us from living our best life, how to make your body your bestie, and tons of tasty tidbits to make your own cup of joy overflow. Believe it or not, I once lost my joy, but now it's back, and I'm here to help you find yours on the daily. As my mama bee always says, it's time to put a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Ready to start? Let's jam. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cup of Joy, the podcast. I have a great guest for you today. Today I have Holly Toronto with me. Holly is a certified health coach who specializes in body image. She helps her clients build resilience to toxic beauty messages and nourish their bodies through powerful self-care. She uses an intuitive and spiritual approach to guiding her clients home to their bodies so that they can live a fulfilled life regardless of their external experience. Hey, 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 Holly, how are you? I'm really, really excited to be with you today. Um, you guys, I just completed a five-day challenge with Holly on her page, and it was absolutely incredible. So I'm so excited to just bring them all of your excellence, all of your expertise. I know you're going to share uh, your own personal journey of moving beyond body shame and disordered eating into embodiment and living with a purpose through your body. So everybody needs to hear this story. It's so important. Yeah, it's such a common story. It's, it's definitely like whatever I share my story, I think the biggest too yeah that was me too yeah I think that solidarity is is really healing in its own way you know what's crazy too is I get the same response sharing my story on food and body image but at the same time so most people aren't saying it out loud in everyday life but the second that I'm vulnerable enough to share it's like ah I've been there too wait are you telling my story wait have you been spying on me So one of the biggest pieces of Cup of Joy, the podcast, is really to just normalize so many things in our everyday lives. So I just, you know, really honor you for sharing this part of you today and all of the knowledge that you're going to share above and beyond your personal story. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. So you guys, I want to share, have Holly share her story with you right off the bat. We'll dive into so many other things, intuitive eating. We're going to talk a little bit about the body positive movement, but Holly, why don't you just dive right in and and take us back to your story and kind of where I like to say where all the junk started. Yeah, great, great, great. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, yeah, I can share the, the, the full heroine's journey here because I think it's important and it's, it's sort of a roundabout story. Um, so I, when I graduated college, I had graduated with a degree in fashion merchandising management, so I actually worked in the fashion industry prior to becoming a health coach. And as I'm sure you can imagine and, and listeners can imagine, the fashion industry is a very image-centric industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there, there is a lot of pressure to look a certain way, dress a certain way, behave a certain way, eat a certain way. Uh, and it sort of builds into the ethos of many corporate environments, fashion, corporate fashion environments, um, to you know constantly be in the pursuit of thinness and constantly be in the state of improving your attractiveness and comparing and despairing yourself to other women. I, uh, at one point during 
with female adult acne from the age of 18 till presently and something that I'm still navigating through, but it had really flared up in my, you know, mid to late 20s. And I decided that I was going to kind of go down that route of like, okay, I'm going to work with a naturopathic doctor and I'm going to go like sort of the Eastern route of healing my skin, which can be a really beautiful endeavor for many people. And I don't want to um, come across as saying like that's bad or wrong in any way. Yet for me, it sort of had a backfiring effect mm. in the long run. So what happened was I started working with this naturopathic doctor and acupuncturist who with the best of intentions put me on a very extreme elimination diet. So cutting out all the things, you know, everyone knows the standard anti-inflammatory diet, right? Mm. And so overnight, I cut out all of these foods, gluten, dairy, sugar, alcohol, nightshades, caffeine, everything. Wow. And this was intended to be a very temporary experiment, about six weeks, just to sort of see if there's anything that was, you know, making my skin break out. Mm. And the six weeks came and went, and my skin did not clear up, and there was no sort of accountability or invitation from the person that I was working with to integrate back into normal eating. And so I just stayed on that path of cutting all of these foods out of my diet. And it became something that was actually became deeply ingrained in my, my identity and my very being, because what happened was people started to notice, Oh, Holly, you're eating differently. And so like, Oh, Holly, you're so good. You're so disciplined. And that sort of started to feed this like, self-worth thing that was mm-hmm. like missing inside of me for so long uh, and with that I started to lose a lot of weight hey, you know I like I wasn't eating uh, a lot of foods that were you know a normal part of my my everyday diet which really had no harmful effect on me whatsoever but I wasn't eating them anymore and so I lost a lot of weight and started to receive all of the praise all of the accolades that women in our day and age yes. receive and lose weight and keep it off uh, and with that received the request from from many women in my life to to help them. Oh, can you help me do what you did? And so at that point, I think this is where many health coaches and healers specifically could probably resonate with this. Uh, I sort of got this like internal calling of, oh, you know, maybe I'm not supposed to be in corporate America anymore. Maybe I'm supposed to be helping other people on their own health journey. Mm -hmm. And so I literally Googled careers and health that don't require going back to college. (laughs) I just didn't want to go to school. (laughs) I was never a student. Um, and I found health coaching and I went on that journey to become certified as a health coach and I built my practice off of that paradigm of helping people lose weight through cleanses and detoxes and elimination diets and, and like really pursuing weight loss from that perspective. Yet underneath all of that, something really insidious was happening for me and that I was beginning to socially isolate. So I became that person who wouldn't show up to uh, a birthday party or an event without having eaten prior because mm-hmm. I wasn't sure that I could control the food that was there or maybe I wouldn't even go at all or uh, maybe I would be feeling like my skin was too broken out and I would stay home and I would isolate I didn't like look the part in a way um, because oh by the way <laughs> through this whole elimination diet my skin never cleared up mm. um, it actually got worse in many ways and I was starting to develop some pre- and your digestive issues because I was that person who was like, I have to have greens with every single meal, but it was like really having an adverse effect on my digestive system. Um, and my hair started to fall out. I was just experiencing a lot of anxiety around food. I was so worried that anything that I put in my mouth would either make me break out, make me put on weight, or kill me. Like it got to mm. a point where I was just like, I was so worried constantly about the food that was going into my body that it was occupying so much brain space. And a turning point happened for me when I was 
a trip with my husband. We were on a cruise in Alaska, and everyone who's ever been on a cruise knows that what you do on a cruise is you eat. (laughs) (laughs) So here I was in front of this buffet of delicious foods that I had like deemed off limits for probably about a year and a half. I had stayed on this diet, and I hadn't allowed myself to eat them. And, you know, I started to like have one here and have one there, and the anxiety that it brought up for me to Mm. just eat a piece of French toast, it was debilitating. Yeah. And I'm crying every single day and like yelling at my husband and saying, like, why did you bring me on this trip? Mm. I never want to go on a trip like this ever again. I was in Alaska, like in one of those beautiful places in the entire world. And I was so like, I couldn't skip a workout. Like I was just so worried about going on this trip that I would put on weight. And my husband actually kind of had to have like a sit down with me to be like, hey, like, you're kind of ruining this for me. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, you don't seem happy. Like, you don't seem okay. He's like, what are you worried about? I'm like, I'm worried that I'm going to put on weight. And if I put on weight, that means I will no longer be taken seriously as a health coach. I'm going to lose all of the praise, all of the accolades that I've received. There was this deep fear of loss um, if my body were to change, if I were to eat normally again. And so... And the expectations that you've now placed on yourself, you know, that everyone's expecting me to look like this, to act like this, to be like this. Totally. That expectation of perfection, right? It's like you can't let somebody know that you have, like, had the piece of cake or you ate the French fries. Right. You might be human. You might be human. Heaven forbid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So interestingly, um, or synergistically, I should say, uh, I brought one book with me on this trip. And I don't know who told me about this book, where I found it, but it's a book called Intuitive Eating. Mm. And I can get into more about what intuitive eating as we continue to talk, but I saw myself so clearly in this book, the Mm. relationship with my food and my body that I created and was thus created from my clients as well, which was really fraught with disorder, orthorexia, um, and this belief that weight and health are the same thing. And... I was really confronted by that book, yet I also knew that that it was an invitation for me to explore. And I came back from that trip and really started to integrate those principles of intuitive eating. And the intuitive eating movement and the body positive movement are definitely like sister movements. And so through intuitive eating, I was introduced to the body positive movement, which I'm sure we'll talk about more as we continue to go as well. And those two movements together really allowed me to heal my relationship to my body, to come home to living in a body that is the size that it's meant to be, which, yes, looks like putting on weight for me. Yeah. I was, sort of having to navigate that myself. And then completely switch the focus of my practice to really be focusing on helping women come home to their bodies, allowing their bodies to settle where they want to be, stop trying to constantly manipulate their bodies and eat from a place of joy, satisfaction, pleasure, and nourishment. And yeah, that's that's where I am at today. Wow. I can totally resonate with so many of the messages that you just shared, so many of the pieces of your story that you just shared. You know, um, I, I too sought validation, got validation and praise. Um, not just from eating a certain way, but people would comment on that. But then people would also comment on my fitness. And so this is how I ended up becoming a personal trainer because I got so many accolades for working out every day, for being the girl that push, 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 doing all of my half marathons, um, really, really encouraging people to get into strength training because it can be scary for women to get into strength training. And to be very clear, I still love strength training. 
It's, but it looks much different to me now than it did then, um, you know, and helping people feel better with their weight loss. For me, I thought, well, it was never really about, I, I thought it was like, once I help people lose the weight and feel strong in their bodies, then we'll get to the place of confidence and all of that will come up for them and then they'll feel good. And this was before I learned how to become a food and body coach. Like you said, you learned the health coaching, intuitive eating, body positive movement, all these things that we now collectively know actually impact, impact the root cause of why we're having these desires for ourselves to live in a thinner frame, to be seen in a certain way, to receive love, connection, and all these other external things, right? Um, to find that food and body freedom that we so, so desire. But um, I would socially isolate as well. It was like I did not trust myself around food. I didn't trust my I didn't trust myself around other people with food. I didn't want to be seen as oh, you know, I had gotten so far to the other end of the spectrum when I would just have one fry from somebody else's plate, not even the plate that I had. They'd be like, oh, "You're eating a French fry? A single French fry? One." You know what I mean? Where it was like, oh, you're eating a French fry? Oh my gosh, I've never seen Heidi eat a French fry before. And it was so strange to me that it started to make me realize, like, what am I doing? Like, if I have a bite of cake at work, people's lives were like upside down. They just could not believe it. They were in shock. So I just wouldn't do it. I stopped going to the birthday parties at work. I stopped going to social outings with my husband. Same thing. Like, we stopped even eating together altogether because just like you had on your Alaska cruise of like, why'd you even bring me on this? I wouldn't I wouldn't vocalize it but I would be so resentful to the fact that he could make quote unquote he could make I could too right he could make macaroni and cheese and all these other things that I really wanted and I couldn't have those things quote unquote right because I had to have chicken sweet potatoes and broccoli for every single meal and a certain amount and weigh it all out or I had to have the smoothie that tastes like dirt because I couldn't add any like actual fruit to it because heaven forbid I have whole fruit with natural sugar in it you know I know that you can that you're resonating with this because you're shaking your head yes and you're laughing and like we laugh because we know it because it's so unreal it's like I know there are women and men listening right now who are just like they're describing exactly where I'm at right now they're describing me they're like right now they are describing me and what I want to tell you guys is and I want to get your two cents on this too Holly of what you would tell people who are where we were at now because the health coaching that we're we are doing now the food and body coaching that we're doing now is coming about it's not totally taken yeah it hasn't even touch the surface of the weight loss industry and the fitness industry that are billion dollar industries that have allowed people to become part of this dependency model and what you and I and so many of the coaches that we know are trying to do is get people out of this wicked toxic dependency model and teach them the tools to actually just understand where you're at love your body where it's at and it feels like mission impossible people don't really understand what this concept is and they're like i don't think that's possible which is why our stories are so important it's like we actually are doing it we actually are living it which is why we gave up everything else in our lives the fashion industry the event industry everything that we came from that we were really really good at that we kept got paid a lot of money to do we gave it all up because this mission is so important and people don't deserve to live trapped in bodies that they don't appreciate and they don't love. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I couldn't agree more. 
So what would you say to, to the people who are listening right now that are that are where we are at and just want to learn how to in, eat intuitively and just want to embrace the body positive movement, but they're like, yeah. is that even a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's nice for somebody else, but it could never work for me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So there's many different things that I would say. <laughs> we probably will get to them as we continue to talk. But the first thing that I would say is to actually acknowledge where that desire to change your body or to conform your body to some standard comes from. So in my work with my clients, I work through um, a four-part framework. Um, and the four parts, I don't, I won't get into all of them, but it's awareness, uh, reclamation, nourishment, and liberation. Mm. And I always start with awareness because we don't know what we don't know, right? And so we are literally, um, you know, just existing in this world where it's like the expectation is that a woman is always trying to lose weight or she, like, needs to lose weight or she needs to look this certain way in order to be happy in order to have confidence in order to have joy um it's really important for us to look at where those messages come from and how we internalize them because the truth is we were not actually born hating our bodies um Mm -hmm. we were born feeling really connected to our bodies being very attuned to our bodies knowing how to ask for what we need (laughs) for our bodies survival for our bodies ultimate nourishment and you think about, you know, hopefully most children experience this, you know, like, you know, trauma and things like this can play a role, but like most children are like super embodied. Like you think about the way that they dance and their tummies are showing and their bums are showing and they just don't care. They're just like existing in their bodies. And unfortunately it's happening younger and younger, you know, we're seeing like children as young as five being put on diets and mm. girls as young as 10, like 80% of 10 year old girls want to lose weight. And so we have to know that this is a systemic issue. It's actually not like something that we are naturally intended to do to pursue weight loss to hate our bodies to want to change our bodies what it's being done for or what it's perpetrating in many ways is this belief that only some bodies are worthy and deserving of resources mm-hmm. right uh, because often when you were talking about like love respect belonging things like that that somebody gets and, and what i got essentially when i was able to lose weight was that sense of like i belong right i'm purposeful i need it i have that sense of self-worth all of that is resources, right? And so the belief that's um, perpetuated by diet culture and the beauty industry is like, okay, well, once you look that way, once you conform to that standard, then you can have access to these resources. And when I looked at it from that perspective, like, oh my God, like I'm actually withholding from myself resources that are inherently mine, yes. right? Until I conform to that standard. And, and from that perspective, being able to sort of reclaim my power of like, oh, I actually don't need to conform to this standard in order to have access to love, success, belonging, relationships, all of the things that I want. And it's like the deepest desire of my heart that everyone knows that. It's like, it doesn't matter what you look like, right? It doesn't matter the size of your body. You're worthy and deserving just as you are. And it, it's so easy to say, like, it doesn't matter what you look like, but so many of us get our value out of our out of our physical appearance. And yeah, it's our currency and it's okay to desire to live in a lighter frame as long as you're coming from a place of love and compassion for yourself and for your body. And the awareness piece is so huge. It's interesting that you brought up, you know, when we're little, we, we kind of, the guard is down. We have no other thoughts. We have no other things going on. And so you, I, I actually went back when I was going through this transformation process myself and I sought out pictures. I asked my parents, my mom and my dad to each choose three photos of me, of me that reminded them of me. And it was so cool 
cool to see the pictures of them. And and most of them, I have this cute little tummy, this cute big tummy, and all these cute little rolls. And when we're little, we get praised for all of our cute little Buddha bellies and all these rolls, and we get pinched and squeezed in like the, the most loving, nurturing ways. And then we grow older, and we look in the mirror, and we pinch and squeeze those same areas with so much hatred and so much like, why are you there? So much resentment. When back in the day... We were just beautifully accepted for being this cute little us that we were. And we're still that version of ourselves. We just look at ourselves so differently because of societal, they're not norms, because of societal uh, pressures and all that stuff. We're conditioned to look at ourselves through the lens of the male gaze, right? So, so much of the, the beauty standards that we're held to are standards that were set up for us by men, Yeah. Right? And not that this necessarily has to be a binary conversation, but like that's like men like want the big boobs and the tiny tummy and the skirt and the curves and the things like that so we're conditioned to look at ourselves and be like oh yeah i have to be attractive for the man yeah <laughs> because and, and this is kind of going like down another rabbit hole because at, at one point it was the man who provided us with those resources right sure. the money the wealth the social standing the relationships right um so yeah our beauty in many ways has become our currency um and yeah i think women coaches like you and i are on a mission to help women understand like you don't actually need to have any sort of social currency to be worthy and deserving of mm. happiness, joy, fulfillment, health, um, nourishing your body, taking care of yourself. Ah, oh, it's so true. It's so true. Let's switch gears a little bit into the intuitive eating part because I think this part is so huge and I'll share a little piece of kind of where this comes in for me, which is why I'm so glad that you're on here because this is a huge part of what you do is the intuitive eating piece. And I've learned how to do this and I practice this as well, but it's been a really interesting shift. So back in the day, it really felt like intuitive eating was for the yogis. This was for some girl out there who was a size whatever, zero to two and she could bend her body in 17 different ways and she just loved eating green food I mean she just could not get enough of the green juices like to me intuitive eating was her like this beautiful goddess who just like her heart just wanted to eat that way just desired to eat that way and what I've come to learn is that I am fully capable of intuitively eating and I don't look anything like the goddess picture that I that I had posed years ago. So first of all, could you just break down a little bit about in case people in case this term is extremely foreign, right? What is intuitive eating? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And what is kind of the definition of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. And I would say that I think many people come to intuitive eating from that perspective. That's probably why I initially picked up the book. I was like, oh, I'm gonna tune into my intuitive goddess inside of me who only wants green smoothies <laughs> i've been waiting to meet her <laughs> yeah. it's almost like the spiritual bypass of intuitive eating absolutely like, absolutely intuitive eating. and the thing about intuitive eating is that the beauty of it is it's different for every single human being on planet earth like it's it's not a one-size-fits-all approach yet what it okay let me backtrack a little bit so um something that i want to acknowledge too is is, is what you said before you were like it it's okay to want to live in a lighter frame. And and the truth is that I, I, I do agree with you. That it is, I, it is like when, when a woman wants to pursue weight loss, I understand why she wants to pursue weight loss, right? Mm-hmm. Because of all of the social currency that would come with, or what we're told would come with that. Yet whenever a client comes to me and she says, I want to lose weight, right? What I say to that is, 
Um, I understand why. And I want to make sure that you have all of the information. I want to make sure you know, okay, first and foremost, let's understand like what, what, where that pursuit is coming from. Right. And let's understand what happens when you intentionally try to pursue weight loss because intentional pursuits at weight, weight loss, AKA dieting, yeah. dieting kind of has like, uh, it, you know, diet culture is sort of attuned to the fact that diets aren't trending anymore. It's kind of like, Oh, that's simple. Like nobody goes on diets. It's just a lifestyle. Right. Yet there's many lifestyle diets that are incredibly problematic and they are diets. Um, what happens when someone goes on a diet, right. And let me just, just share this statistic that 98% of diets fail. Yeah. Right? 98% of the time. And when I say that the diets fail, I want to be very clear. It's not the person that fails the diet. Yep. It's the diet itself because we as human beings have evolved to be acutely resistant to starvation and restriction. Mm-hmm. It's actually the reason we're alive today. And so when somebody has the experience of trying to eat less, reduce their calorie intake for the intentions of weight loss, what happens is that we can sustain that for a short period of time and we start to get that, oh yeah, like I'm losing weight, I'm doing so well. Um, but inevitably, biology takes over in the form of our metabolism slowing down, our cravings increasing, our, our energy decreasing. And many times what will happen is that person will have the, the experience of losing a bunch of weight, but then the the biology takes over, they put the weight back on and then some. So it's called rebound weight gain. Mm. And what that is, is a way of your body saying to you, I don't trust you. Mm. I don't trust you to not put me into a state of starvation. So I'm going to hold on to more during this time of feast when you're actually letting me eat and make it harder for you every single time you try to lose weight. And so, so many of my clients come to me with that experience of like they're going up and down and up and down and up and down and inevitably end up in a larger body than where they started. Yep. And so that's just from a biological perspective. From a psychological perspective, what's happening is that even the mere thought of, I can't have that. I can't have that cake. I can't have those cookies. I can't have those french fries. That actually creates erratic thoughts and compulsive behaviors around those foods. And you think about like the mere thought of like, don't think about a pink elephant. Right? It's like all you think about is that pink elephant. It's the same is true for these foods. Like, don't think about having that bread. The only one is that bread. Yep. Right? And so it really, when I say it takes us out of our power when it comes to our relationship with food, where our relationship to food is much more reactionary as opposed to intuitive and responsive. Right. And so Intuitive Eating is a book that was written by two dietitians in the, well, there's many different versions of it. I believe the first one came out in the 1990s, and they're actually coming out with a fourth edition, which I'm super excited about because it's even more updated than the prior versions um, as far as, like, focusing on social justice and looking at the weight stigma and that phobia piece of this conversation, which I don't even know if we're going to get to today. (laughs) Um, But Intuitive Eating is really, in my opinion, about a reclamation of our autonomy and our relationship to food where it's no longer motivated by trying to shrink our bodies and change our bodies, but really motivated by what nourishes me, what's pleasurable, what satisfies me, what is my body asking for today mm-hmm. from a place of judgment. Mm-hmm. And so there's two things that I would say, and there's nine principles within intuitive eating. So like, I don't think I'm going to be able to cover all of them today, yep. but I'll cover like two of the, the ones that I think are really powerful. The first one being, um, and this is probably the one that people get the most tripped up with. It's called unconditional permission to eat. Mm-hmm. So when I work with my clients, we work with this principle of you have unconditional permission to eat. And most of them are like, what? Yeah. 
I can't trust myself. No way. I'm going to go off the deep end. I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts to get the whole box later. Yeah, it's that it's 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 the trust factor. Once you give yourself permission to do something, can I trust myself to live in this new state? Exactly. Exactly. And and the truth is that there is a pendulum swing that happens. So, a lot of the times when my clients embark on this unconditional permission to eat, they'll jump in, you know, feet first like, "Okay, we're, I'm ready to go." And they'll swing the pendulum. And that is a healthy and natural part of the process because you're still building trust between you and your body, right? And your body might start to say like, okay, well, we're going to get all the donuts we possibly can because we know, we know she's going to put us back into a state of starvation. So let me get as many as I can. My clients have this experience all the time. And then eventually what will happen is the more you give yourself permission, the more you come at it from a place of non-judgment, okay? Like I'm just building trust with my body. And that inevitably the pendulum comes back into center. I don't even want to say balance because I do think that there could be some diet culture stuff within the, even that word balance but kind of comes back to center. And so really unconditional permission to eat, what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean ignore your body. Yeah. It doesn't mean if you have a diagnosed medical condition or um, an allergy or you eat something and you feel like garbage after, right? mm-hmm. that's, that's how you're supposed to eat. But intuitive eating is about taking your power back. And unconditional permission to eat is about taking your power back where you're almost like neutralizing foods. So you're saying, okay, that food is neutral. Yes, right? yes. Uh, that peach holds the same emotional reaction as that piece of pizza. Yeah. wild for some people. Where there's no longer this good, bad judgment around food. It's really stemming from a place of like, okay, like all of these foods are available to me within the context of like what my doctor says is appropriate. Please talk to your doctors, everyone. Yep. <laughs> listening to this, like if you have diabetes or heart disease or whatever it is. Um, but all of these foods are available to me, right? And from this wide variety of foods, right, what would I like to eat today? What would feel really good? Mm-hmm. And it takes this sort of like, oh, my God, I don't, I'm not allowed to eat those french fries. Oh, but I'll just have one. Oh, I'll have two, and then I'll have all of the french fries or all of the donuts or all of the Oreos because I was in that state of like, okay, well, I'm only allowed to have one. And in that inherently is restriction. And we are incredibly, again, as I said before, incredibly resistant to restriction. I think a big game changer for me too was the fact that once I had that unconditional permission, because I went through the same process, once I had that permission, I went a little wild for a little while where I was just like, woohoo, who cares? Don't need to worry about it. I'm free. I'm so free. And then what I realized is it wasn't about being free, like just having that food freedom. It was really about how do I, you said this, how do I feel when I eat this? And sometimes when I eat the pizza, I feel great. I feel fine. That's exactly what I wanted. It's exactly what I was craving. That's exactly, you know, what I wanted to have. And then sometimes I know that it's not going to feel great. I know that it's not going to make my body feel good. So what do these certain foods, how do they becoming very conscious of how these things impact my body? I know now after kind of testing the waters and cruising through a little bit, even the amounts of different doses of things, even the amounts of, okay, when I get to this amount of French fries or this amount of um, oatmeal or whatever it is, or a peach even, when I get to this amount of that type of food, that is usually a good threshold for me. And I can really, it's about listening to what my body desires today and not just going like, well, my favorite food is this, I'm going to put it in. It's like, 
no, like what, what am I actually like needing right now? What's going to fuel the energy, the brain dose, the, maybe it is a happy food for the day, whatever it is, like, what am I going to feel like after I consume this item? (laughs) Yeah. And to know that all of that has a place too. Like if you do have the experience of like eating a food that you know doesn't make you feel good, like I can tell you with certainty, like birthday cakes, like pick your brain since we're kind of in this realm right now is I've been getting different people reach out on meal prep and meal planning because I used to be so meal prep oriented and I want to get your take on this because again for me it all comes back to intention of if you're a busy gal or guy and it's going to really help you to to have a variety of things in your stash all prepped and planned and washed and and ready to go so that you can be on your way and nourish your body the way that feels good um, without restricting or without being on a diet go for it go for it but for me it was like I was weighing every single piece of chicken every and I was only eating I was eating like the same thing every single day for lunch every single day for breakfast every single day for dinner it was boring it was mundane it was it was awful and it was like you know I see people going into these things trying to make meal prep fun and god bless but the thing is like I let's just be careful if this is really a fun thing for you to do and for you to nourish your body or if this is really just just you putting out on social media that it's that it's a fun way to trick your brain to be on a diet so what are your thoughts around kind of that meal prep mentality yeah yeah I think you hit the nail on the head when you said the word intention yeah Uh, because what I want to be really mindful of too I think a lot of things get misconstrued well I should say my my view of, of intuitive eating is not ignore your body or your health I actually deeply value health I know not everybody does and that's not an expectation for you to value your health in order for you to be a worthy person yet for me and the clients that I work with and the people I tend to surround myself with health is important to me and and that looks like so many different things like my spiritual health my social health all of those things which food is included in so I think intentionality is really incredibly important when it comes to this idea of meal prepping um to note that like when you're in a state of trying to control right your circumstances like I see that a lot when I'm seeing like again this is not a judgment this is just a perception that I have when I see like the same meal lined up three like 21 meals lined up and they're the same thing every single day it feels like the sense of like okay I'm in control over what I'm going to eat and that to me inherently within that sounds like restrictions like I can't go outside of these lines and again we become inherent we are inherently resistant to, to restriction and so I, I believe that there's only so long that that can last 
becoming in some ways disordered. Um, yeah, the control but, part really comes back to me for tr- the trust piece of I whenever I feel like I need to control something, a schedule, an agenda, a conversation, all of that stuff, not just food and body, it comes back to a lack of trusting myself. It really does. Trusting that like it, you can kind of just go like, roll with life, right? It's like, oh, if I forget my meal that day, like I remember that at that mm. point in, Yeah. And, and like to know that you can sort of just like roll with life and that it doesn't have to be that, oh, okay, you forgot your prep salad. Can you have a sandwich? Can that be okay? Mm-hmm. And like that actually becomes much more of the work for my clients is just to allow themselves to eat something like a sandwich or have like bread for lunch and like have that be okay. Yeah. But that said, you know, I do think that like for me personally as a busy entrepreneur who I don't want to be like, I live in New York City. If I were to eat out every single meal, that's like, it's like upwards of $50 a day just on food if I were to do that. So it's not, that's not economical. Cause it's like, it's, it's also really bad for the environment for me to be getting that many plastic containers. So, like, for me, meal prepping, yeah, well, I'll, back, I'll backtrack a little bit. So, like, there there was a time when I, I kind of wasn't meal prepping. I wasn't aware of, like, okay, like, these are the meals that I'm going to, I should actually say it's more recipe planning than it is meal prepping. Um, but I would just like buy a bunch of stuff that I thought was like quote unquote healthy. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get these mushrooms and a zucchini, and I have like eggs. <laughs> <And so it's laughs> yes. No recipe around it whatsoever, and I was like, these are healthy foods. And then I would like it would be lunchtime in the middle of the day on Tuesday, and I'm like, like I don't have time to saute mushrooms. Like, what am I gonna do? I so I just end up eating like eggs. Yeah. And, like that was, and then being starving, and then I would have these headaches and these belly aches because I wasn't fully nourishing myself. And so what I realized is like, oh no, I. It's amazing. Yeah. So good that's so good I mean I used to also be on the shake and cleanse diet so it was just like shake for breakfast shake for lunch or on a cleanse day it would be like cleanse 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 you know have the little tablets and like I used to do all that stuff so now I still have a ton of my protein shakes and once in a while I'm in the mood for a protein shake. I I actually do enjoy it again. But I had been restricting my body so much using the shakes for so long that I went through this phase during intuitive eating transformation that I just went, ugh, I cannot. No, I don't even want to see another shake. I'm so glad that I don't have to do this anymore. And it's funny how now it's kind of flipped where I'm like, oh, I've had a busy day. I kind of forgot to eat. What sounds good? 
oh, a protein shake sounds kind of good. And I could, and this now I can actually throw a banana in there or some blueberries in there or whatever it is that I would never do before because that wasn't part of it. So it's really a beautiful process when it all comes down to really learning how to listen to how your body is communicating to you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I have a similar experience with smoothies. I had to like kind of take them off for a while to, to sort of like, do I really like these things? Is it like, because I would, you know, I would have multiple smoothies a day. And yeah. Then like, again, feeling really like my stomach would hurt because I was like, put kale, like hundreds of pounds of kale, and like three different smoothies that I had that day. Then I was like, oh, you know what? I can actually uh, make these from a place that's like really nourishing and delicious. Yes. <laughs> and and enjoy it there. and enjoy what you're eating, and you can enjoy kale. And you can enjoy French fries, and you you can enjoy shakes, and you can enjoy pickles. Like I just like started reintroducing the weirdest things back into my diet that I said that I wasn't allowed to have for so long. That now I'm like, this is amazing. I don't, I can't remember Holly the last time that I actually binged on sugar since I've changed my relationship to food. It's been over a year now where, you know, my boyfriend just brought cookies back from Hawaii because I asked him to. I was like, they have these best cookies. They're so amazing. They're these short, bright, yummy cookies. And there would have been a time where if I had one of those, the whole thing would have been gone maybe in 24 hours. I'm not even joking because I would restrict, restrict, and then it was like, I have to have it all. I have to cram it all like you were talking in earlier. Now it's like, I'm not phased by it. I'll just have it when I want it or I'll have half of it or I'll have, or I'll have two of them or whatever I want, but it doesn't call me. Like there would be times where it would literally just call me in the middle of the night, like, come and eat me, come and eat. It was so crazy. I know you guys can relate to this because it's real. You're just like, why are the chocolates calling me? so so good and it's so 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 true once it's there it's kind of like we we want what we can't have and we don't want what we have already so it's like oh when it's it's already there like it's there all the time I can have it whenever I want I think this is another thing that I just popped into my head is 
Do you think that this is kind of the whole concept around the holidays? Why people get go crazy because they're like, oh, shoot, I only get this at Christmas time. Oh, my gosh, Thanksgiving is only one time a year with all of these things. Can you imagine if we're like, I love turkey. I'm just going to make a big old turkey whenever I want a turkey. I'm just going to make – and we don't make it this whole one-and-done experience where we only get these things at certain times of a year, and then we just try to shove it all in because it's not coming back for a whole other year. I would say that's exactly right. <laughs> people also they end their diets over the holidays but they also intentionally start their diets over during the holidays so that they don't eat and now we're just going back to that restriction mode of I'm gonna um uh my sister was doing this diet called hold it for the holidays and that's great you know just being mindful of of whatever you're you're desiring for yourself and I'm not shaming her in any way she did a great job and she feels so much better and there was so much awareness around it but this hold it for the holidays concept was basically like trying to teach mindful eating, right? Like you don't have to go nuts on the potatoes and the turkey and the whatever. Just take take what feels good to your body. But at the same time, it was saying like don't eat certain things that are bad. And I hate it when people label foods as good and bad. They're just food. And let's not give them an identity. Let's just remember what how they, how it makes our body feel. So just really interesting concept around the holidays and intuitive eating altogether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very interesting. And, and when you do the work, you're, you're gathering data. That's yeah. what I always say. Like it's, it's the more that you can approach this from a place of curiosity and not judgment, the more it's going to serve you to actually finding peace and feeling embodied when you sit down to eat as opposed to feeling like you're in your head judging yourself like, oh my God, I feel so out of control. Mm, so good. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap this up pretty soon here, but I do want to touch on the body positive movement because I know that there are people who feel a little torn on what this is and are we just saying, you know, you should give yourself mantras in the mirror and everything's all good and move on and don't worry about anything else. The body positive movement has a lot of pros and cons to it. So I really know that this is a big piece of where you come from. It's impacted you so much. And so I really want people to understand what the body positive movement is and how it's really impactful to where we're going with food and body. Yeah, and thank you for leading with, um, okay, we'll just give ourselves affirmations and move on with it because the body positive movement is definitely much more complex than that. And I want to give credit to what the body positive movement actually is because it definitely has become mainstream. The body positive movement 
started, I think it was in the 60s, by women of size and women of color who felt like there was a lot of felt like we're <laughs> beyond felt like we're at the receiving end of a lot of injustice mm. um, as far as their their specific bodies are concerned. Um, you know, a lot of stigma, a lot of shame, a lot of ostracizing from society. And so I want to be really mindful of like this movement was built on the backs of those women who were advocating for themselves to be considered equal mm. um, and to, to know that they are deserving of taking up space and that they're worthy and deserving regardless of their skin color, the size of their body, their abilities, whatever it is. And so um, the body positive movement is really about inclusivity. The body positive and, and within that, centering marginalized voices, those who have been most on the receiving end of stigma judgment and shame from the external world, from diet culture, from beauty culture. Um, and so what it's saying in a nutshell is all bodies are worthy. Mm-hmm. All bodies, regardless of skin color, all bodies, regardless of size, all bodies, regardless of ability, regardless of gender identification, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of any external circumstances are worthy. Yes. Worthy of, and deserving of being seen, of being represented, of taking up space. And so body positivity is a collective movement, which impacts the individual, and the individual can also impact the collective by being willing to work on, um, and I'm speaking of, so when I'm working with my clients around body positivity, it's it's ultimately about how them as an individual can um, work on their own internalized body shame Mm. that impacts their lives and allows them to know that they are worthy deserving that they're more than just their their life's purpose is not to be sexy their life's purpose is not to be attractive like actually the way they look is the least interesting thing about them Mm. Um, to to move beyond their own internalized weight stigma and fat and fat phobia um so that they can also show up in the world that way and speak up for people who are constantly on the receiving end of weight stigma uh, body shape um, so that's ultimately what the movement is about it's individual affects the collective the collective affects the individual and we're all committing to doing that in our work of disconnecting self-worth from appearance and taking a stand that all bodies are worthy and deserving oh, thank you thank you for for describing it that way and for taking it out of kind of what the world perceives it to be and taking it really internal and and dealing with the internal shame and the internal state and the internal transformation and the internal worthiness versus what everyone else is thinking because I've heard different stigmas around it saying you know people that are doing body positivity are saying that people shouldn't care about their health that they should just say it doesn't matter what my body looks like I'll just give up and I'll just not worry about it anymore. And that's not what we're saying here. We're saying that there's already so many other people shaming people for their body types and styles and everything else, everything that makes us unique, right? Uniquely different. That it's it's taking it out of that frame and really taking ownership and taking our power back and reclaiming who we are and how we're going to show up in this world. So thank you for bringing that type of clarity around the body positive movement. It's it's not really for anyone else other than yourself, reclaiming your yeah. own self. And one thing that I just want to mention about that too, because I think it's it's really important for clarity's sake, is that um, you know that is probably one of the biggest critiques of the body positive movement is like, but people's health and like I don't think like, for 
Yes. And that belief is actually incredibly ableist because no matter what, sometimes people are not going to always be able to get like control of their health. There's chronic conditions. Yep. There's like, there's, and the thing that I really wanted to talk about was, was actually from a socioeconomic perspective, um, you know, much research has shown that the biggest impact on someone's health is actually their socioeconomic status. So whether they have access to like clean water, education, clean streets, um, you know, if they have income, if they have healthcare, if they have all of these other things that are like, a, you know, a privilege for many people, um, that is actually the biggest determinant of their health. And so it's, I think it's really important to be mindful when, the, when those critiques of the body positive movement, they're saying, oh, just give up on your health, right? To be mindful of like, that's actually quite ableist and stigmatizing towards people in, you know, socioeconomic classes that might not have the same access to like eating a green smoothie. Yeah. <laughs> you and I. This is so this is so good. I love that you said health is not a prerequisite for worthiness because what does this all come back to? It all comes down to worthiness, enoughness. So many times we are doing all of these external things, all of the physical things instead of the emotional things to try to gain worthiness when all we really need to do is heal those internal wounds, feel worthy so that we can show up bigger and brighter as the most authentic version of ourselves. Thank you for sharing this mission with me. I feel honored to be in the industry as leaders in this industry together and helping people learn and grow from the things that really pained us the most in our lives. It's such a beautiful space to be in together. So thank you for sharing this space with me. I want to make sure, I would really, really want to make sure that people know where to find you, Holly. So where should they go to find you and know what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on most of the social media channels. I am on Instagram at Holly underscore Toronto underscore coaching. <laughs> um, so you can find me there. You just type in Holly Toronto. You should be able to find that on uh, Instagram as well as on Facebook. Uh, I do have a Facebook group, which Heidi, I'm, I'm happy to share that link with you if you want to put that in the show notes, where I just facilitate a lot of conversation with people around their relationship to their bodies and food, and uh, you know, something that we didn't talk on too much today, but like a big part of that work is the spiritual component of this, where it's, it's about when we can't come from that, when we're able to reclaim our energy and our brain space from body shame and dieting, right, what do we get to do with our lives, right, how do we live out our purpose in an embodied way, so yeah, I'm happy to connect with anyone on any of those social channels beautiful beautiful well we always close cup of joy the podcast with two questions and so the first one is what do you love most about yourself (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, that's a really good question what do i love most about myself one thing that i do really love about myself and maybe it's it's a part of me that i'm just starting to show others that, that I don't necessarily always show is that I'm actually quite silly. Um, I'm, I'm a little <laughs> bit weird. I'm a little bit goofy. Um, I love to dance and like dance in like a really funny, goofy way. And I've been bringing that a little bit more into my social media and showing that side of myself. And it's, it's, it seems to bring others joy. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit goofy, weird, silly. Um, and I, I actually do love that about myself. Yes. Keep it weird, girl. Keep it weird. Keep it silly. Keep it fun. Keep it light. <laughs> Um, I love that. And then the last question is, what does joy feel like? So when I feel joy, I feel it in my solar plexus. And there is this sort of warmth that happens in that area. It almost feels...
shining and you get that like sort of penetrating sun mm-hmm. <laughs> hopefully with appropriate protection um, <laughs> on your um, and it just penetrates that layer deeper that's what joy feels like to me Ah, it's my favorite part of the whole podcast is to soak in those feelings of joy. It really is. So thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much for being such a bright light here. You guys make sure you go get more of Holly in your life. She's an absolutely delightful and wonderful resource in this business, in this life experience, in this life journey. So thanks for being here today. And I'm sure you'll be back on the podcast again soon, sharing more more nuggets of knowledge. I would love to come back. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you love what you heard, please take a quick second to screenshot this episode and share it with someone that you know would love it. Connecting with you brings sunshine to my soul. So let's continue the conversation on Instagram at joyfullybe. Drop me a message, question, or share your own junk to joy story with me. Remember that joy is contagious. You can help me spread it by leaving a little buzz, aka a review, on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about Cup of Joy, the podcast, and my soulful services, visit cupofjoythepodcast.com. Chat soon.